listening to ACDC Beyond the Thunder, the podcast with the biggest balls of all, with your hosts, Kurt Squires and Greg Ferguson. It's time to rock. For those about to listen, we salute you. It's the one and only podcast that takes you behind the thunder to reveal how extraordinary fans have been influenced by this extraordinary little band called ACDC. I'm your host, Kurt Squires, and along with my colleagues, Greg Ferguson and Eric Kielb, we put together a very special episode for all of you audiophiles out there. And here's why. If you were one of those ACDC fans who were first arrested by the sight of Angus Young getting impaled by his own Gibson SG or electrocuted or sporting devil horns, even before you heard a single chord from the band, if you were one of those ACDC fans who used to carefully peel the plastic off your freshly purchased vinyl copy of If You Want Blood, drop the needle on the very first track, and sit there staring at that cover, reading every single liner note on the inner sleeve so you could find out who the producer was, who engineered the record, where it was recorded, what was the name of all the band members, and so on, then you should know exactly who our next guest is, especially since he's responsible for helping design one of the greatest band logos in history. Ladies and gentlemen, the man who literally branded ACDC Bob Deffrin. Bob, thank you so much for joining us today and for welcoming us into your lovely home. It has taken us forever to track you down here in the sticks, but track you down we did. So first off, I'll ask, what have you been up to? I don't know. I don't have to do it anymore. I'm up here in the woods, you know? <laughs> I'm in the Witness Protection Program in Amini, New York, and that's it. Okay. So, okay, being in the same profession as you, I would first love to know what you consider your title to be. I've had everything from graphic designer to art director to creative director to VP creative, all different job descriptions throughout my own career. But what would you ultimately like to have as your official rank? You know, I've always had a problem describing what it is I do. I, I thought I was a graphic designer. And I said, no, you're really, yeah, you're a designer, but you're really an art director. You, you design, but you also pull things together. So I think art director is probably what I should have on my tax returns. Which makes sense because that's the title that everyone saw on all of those great ACDC album covers that you designed. So before we jump into talking about that very subject, including helping to bring the iconic ACDC logo to life, tell us a bit about how you got into this business in the first place. Well, I got into this business quite by accident because I was basically in advertising, which is what I went to school for. I wanted to be an advertising art director. I loved advertising. And I was working at an agency which is no longer in existence, Donio & Co, I think. This was a medium-sized agency. Uh, it had movie accounts, it had industrial accounts, and it had MGM Verve Records as an account. Mm -hmm. And I was an assistant on a couple of accounts, including MGM and Verve, and I got kind of close to the art director. And uh, I was like his personal assistant at that point, and we were, we were having a, a lot of fun working together, you know, and, and doing some good things. And 
you know, about a year and a half passed, and I went to him, and I, I thought I could tell him how I really felt. And I said, you know what, I think it's time for me to move on, not because of the account, but because it's, I don't want to stay in one job too long. Right. And he said, well, I'll tell you what, call my friend Bob Jones at RCA Records, and uh, he's looking for someone to work in his department. And I said, fine, but what would I do you know, at RCA Records? And he said, album covers. And I said, I never thought of that, you know. Nice. So I took my little portfolio, and I mean, it was a, the black cardboard with the little strings, you know, in the corners. Yeah. And I took it to RCA, made an appointment to see Bob Jones. And Bob Jones was a very imposing, intimidating man. He looked like Ernest Hemingway. <laughs> The gray crew cut, the gray close crop beard. Yep. Uh, kind of slightly heavy set, you know, very waspy. <laughs> and I'm shown into his office. No, I'm ushered into his office. And he had this very lovely office, and behind him was a wall of awards, floor to ceiling, wall to wall. Sitting there with my little cardboard portfolio, and God is behind the desk in front of me, you know. Yeah. Of my portfolio, and he went through it very carefully, and he's being extremely cordial. And he said, "Would you like to come to work for us?" And I said, "I'd love it." He says, "Well, what kind of salary are you looking for?" And it's like, "Oh God, don't ask me. Just tell me what you're going to pay me." Right. And I said, "All right, let me kind of reach for the stars, but not too much." And I said, "I think $110 a week would be okay." And he said, "We can do that." <laughs> nice. And I was there for a while, a long time actually, and uh, I was kind of ready to go. I've been there a long time, I don't remember how many years, but it was quite a few. And uh, RCA's ad, ad agency at the time was Gray. And they dumped Gray and formed an in-house ad agency. They mm -hmm. brought in agency people, account people, and uh, they said, you want to be one of the art directors? And I said, yes, that would be great. And we physically moved to other parts of the building into an ad agency environment, whatever that means. And there were copywriters, there were production people, there were traffic people. And I said, this is great. No more album covers, all advertising. And it was promotion, like press kits and posters. Oh, fun. And these were the days when no one ever used the word budget. Oh, perfect. I mean, I did a press kit for, for Nina Simone. It was incredibly elaborate. The front cover was silk screened, four colors. The inside was two color offset. Each spread was its own special stock. And no one said, hey, you can't do this, it's too expensive. They just, okay, fine, just give us all the little paper names and the weights and everything and the ink colors and they did it. <laughs> there were wow. die cuts. That's awesome. It was incredible and that's how things went there. And we had some, some interesting ad campaigns. Elvis was there at the time. Wow, no kidding. Uh, and that's where I actually met my wife, Ellen. She was my copywriter, and I hated her from the beginning. <laughs> she was awful. And she was a good writer, but she was just so difficult to be with. But, you know, she wore these really short skirts. <laughs> okay. And it was, just, it was a great atmosphere. And Ellen got fired. And she is really the music person. I'm not. I'm more the design person. But she loves music, and she knows her music, and she's a musician. And she went to work for Atlantic. And uh -huh. Atlantic was literally over a drugstore on 60th Street. Manhattan. No kidding. And it was a tiny company, but it was as hot as a record company could possibly be. And she got a job there working for Bob Rollins, who was head of advertising and publicity. Mm -hmm. 
and there was no art department. Their ads were done by, I don't know, by the printer, basically. You know, they were horrible, horrible ads. Mm -hmm. And she told Bob Rolands, we should have an art director to work with here. And so she hired me freelance. So I was on staff at RCA, but uh, Atlantic was a freelance account. <laughs> Naughty. And this went on for a short time until uh, Atlantic decided, this is crazy. Let's just hire him. So they made me an offer. And I said, yes, let's do it. And so I, I left RCA, my plush office there, and went to work for a company over a drugstore. However, there was no office space, so they found an office space for me literally in the cellar next to the furnace. <laughs> nice. And I said, oh, what am I doing here? <laughs> you know? Oh, no. But it was great. It was a lot of fun. And it, it was really, Atlantic was just so hot then, and everyone who worked in that company loved coming to work. They would come in at 10 or 10.30 in the morning, but they would never go home. And that atmosphere was electric. It was just incredible. I mean, yeah. did some good stuff. Definitely sounds like a great creative environment, which is always necessary. So you, you made the move from advertising, essentially, to album cover design. So what was the very first album cover you worked on? The first cover I did was for Nessui Erdogan, who was Ahmet's brother. And Nessui was the jazz maven, jazz genius of Atlantic. Uh, and it was for Eddie Harris. It was called EH in the UK. And I was still so deep into graphic design that I, I spent days designing EH in the UK, which I would never do today. Mm -hmm. But then it was like, I don't know, put a 32nd of an inch here and maybe this type font isn't quite right. And you know, it was, it was like, it was insane, but it was a lot of fun. And uh, Nessui was incredibly hard to work for, but he loved that work. He just, he knew yeah, this guy has moved it a 32nd to the right. <laughs> That's what I'm looking for. Uh, so EH in the UK was my first cover, which was for Nessui. My first serious cover, rock cover, was uh, for Clapton. Oh, right. Um, 461 Ocean Boulevard. Great cover. Tell us a little bit about uh, the making of that. I hired a photographer who was recommended at Atlantic, David Garr, who was a wonderful folk photographer but someone I should not have taken to shoot Eric Clapton, although the pictures, pictures are wonderful, but David's persona could be annoying at times. <laughs> uh, and David passed away a short time ago, so I'm trying to be very respectful to his memory. But anyway, so I, I called David. I said, David, we have this shoot. It's gonna be in Miami, you know, da-da-da-da, whatever. And we fly down there, and we go to the location, whatever that address is on Ocean Drive, and Eric is there, couldn't be nicer, really couldn't be nicer. David also was taking some great pictures, except we're out there shooting, you know, on, on this veranda. And I'm very concerned about the impression I'm making. This is my first location shot. This has got to go off well, or I'm in deep trouble. Sure. And David drops his Nikon. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> After this concrete <laughs> thing. And I'm thinking, kill me now, God. <laughs> You know, oh, I don't want to be here. But it all turned out to be okay, and everyone loved the cover. Eric was very, very wonderful to work with. And uh, after the shoot, uh, I said to David, come on, we're here, we're in Miami Beach. I'm on an expense account. Let's go out to dinner and have a nice dinner, have a bottle of wine. And David really just wanted a tuna fish sandwich in front of the TV set in his room. <laughs> Oh, come on. Fine. <laughs> come no, on, fine. David, live it up a little. 
So eventually, you get your very first ACDC album cover assignment, which was Let There Be Rock. A beautiful piece of work, but also important to note the very first time that the world is exposed to one of the greatest, if not the greatest band logos of all time, the gothic lettering treatment of the ACDC logo. Do you remember that? No, I do remember it. You're good. You're really good. thanks. No, I told you. I'm a huge fan. Thank you. Uh, Now that you mentioned it, I do remember the photograph. Either they supplied the photograph or we dug it up someplace. And it was a great shot of Angus, you know, slightly leaning backward with the guitar on stage in front of his adoring fans. And the title, Let There Be Rock, is biblical. You know, like, let there be light. I said, and and these covers can be very simplistic sometimes. I said, well, why don't we just have God's light shining down, blessing Angus? You know, and so we had this whole thing rendered to look like that's what was happening. So it was a lot of fun. Simple, yet you always had those Bob Deffrin touches on ACDC albums where there was a little bit of mystery or danger. And in that cover... um, I remember the hand-tinted green arms in the audience. That just really stuck out to me as something cool. And the ACDC logo beforehand had gone through a series of very, shall I say, cartoon-like treatments. But it wasn't until under your art direction that ACDC as a brand truly came together and went on to become one of the most recognizable marks of all time. Uh, I should have gotten a royalty deal on that one. <laughs> yes, you should have. <laughs> You'd be rich. Okay. Uh, I'm not quite sure where the logo came from. I may have started sketching it out. I think there was a desire to take the logo that they were using and make it more of a gothic-looking symbol. And uh, I hired Jerry Werther, who was, and still today, uh, a fabulous typographic designer and letterer, and Jerry came up with the final version that everyone's familiar with. So, right. I mean, all credit really should go to him. A little bit of credit to me, but not too much, really. And probably none to the band. <laughs> but, but Jerry did all the real work on that thing, and uh, it is, yeah, it's everywhere. And in my mind, one of the first band logos to be designed using just straight lines, which started a whole trend in the hard rock, heavy metal community. Yes, that's right. There's not a curved line in it. And this question might be a bit anachronistic these days with how prevalent digital downloads are now, but describe how important packaging the idea of a body of work is for an artist. I think today it, it, it's quite different than it was you know, years ago. There was a that universal question that was asked in the days of vinyl, does an album cover sell an, sell an album? And my answer as an art director, you would think I would say, absolutely. The answer is no, it doesn't sell an album. A good cover is not going to help a good album. A bad cover can kill an album. I mean, the cover is what the band looks like, particularly in the pre-video days, where what is the visual impression of this band? It's the cover. Even if it isn't a picture of the band, it is the feeling the cover gives you. and that is, that is vitally important. Every time I'd meet an artist, a recording artist, they were into those covers the way they are now into their videos. And every artist I ever met cared desperately about that album cover. I mean, no one just said, oh, it's only the album cover. So an album cover is important. It is the packaging. And one of the unique things about designing music packaging, and I'll call it that as opposed to album covers because they're not even albums anymore, is that what the art director or designer is doing is something unique. You're packaging somebody else's talent. 
So you cannot let your ego get in the way of that. You've got to be able to handle that and do something which is the correct solution to whatever this, this, the problem of packaging this music is. But it is someone else's talent that you're packaging. You're not packaging your talent. You're using your vision, but it's someone else's talent that's being packaged. Right. And how involved does a band like ACDC get when it comes to designing the look or even the concept of their own album cover? Physically present, almost never. It was all telephone. And uh, if I had a concept that I wanted to use, I would call Malcolm or Angus and say, after, after the niceties, and say, here's what I want to do with this cover. And I'd describe it to them. And they would say, oh, Bob, great idea. Let's <laughs> do it. You know. Or, no, we don't like it, but mostly it was, the ACDC covers were really, simplistic wouldn't be the right word, but they were very direct. If you want blood, what would, of course, why don't you have Angus impaled on a guitar? Yes. You know, it's, it's, it is the easiest thing to do, and it is the strongest thing to do, and it's the right thing to do. Uh, but they were, they were always involved in the covers, but not sitting over your shoulder, not telling you what to do. They were really good to work with, and always a gentleman. Those guys were fabulous. That's great. I mean, no attitude. I mean, you wouldn't know you're talking to one of the major recording artists in the world when you're talking to Angus or Malcolm. They were just delightful to work with. That's know? nice to hear. And what I loved about your art direction was that you represented ACDC's brand perfectly. Like the music, it was direct, it was simple, it was powerful, sometimes shocking. It has to be like the music. It comes in and hits you over the head and leaves, basically. And that's what the cover should do. It shouldn't, it's not a thought process. It's just, it's, look, don't embellish it. It doesn't require, it's simple, it's direct, it's hard hitting. And I mean the music, the cover should be the same as that. You shouldn't have to read into it like, oh, I don't know, what does that really mean? And what does it really mean? It means Angus is impaled on his guitar and he's bleeding to death on the stage. <laughs> Period. Of course. Um, let's talk about the fan favorite Power Age, which, by the way, I pronounced incorrectly for most of my life. Is it Power Age or Powerage? No, no, I used to call it Powerage. I don't know why, but even Slash pronounced it that way until... I heard an Angus Young interview, and he said something like, you have your Ice Age, you have your Stone Age, and then you have your... Power Age. Power Age, right. So tell us a little bit about that cover design, which just so happens to be Keith Richards' favorite album from ACDC. We had like two minutes to do that cover, and there was this photograph of Angus. Actually, there were a lot of photographs, if I remember correctly. And there was one where he was looking... That look in his face, his head is back, and he, it may have just been an outtake from a photo session, but he looks like he's being electrocuted. But I don't want to make, be electrocuted. Let's make him the source of the power. Let's make the wires or the conduits be part of his body. Mm. So let's take his hands away and let's retouch in all these high voltage wires coming out of his sleeves. That's the whole story. Wow. So you didn't have a photo shoot per se, this was supplied. It was supplied. Wow, that's interesting. So you literally made something from nothing. And as I said, it was probably an outtake because it wasn't a great shot. He looked terrible. Unless he was being electrocuted. It was right. pretty looked terrific. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, also a bit of trivia. You decided to ditch the newly established ACDC Gothic logo as we know it for an electric style logo typeface, which the name escapes me. I should know it, but um, this would be the very last time the traditional logo is not used on an album cover. Was there a reason why you didn't use that? 
Why didn't we use the logo? I don't know. I don't think the logo was really established as you have to use this all the time. It wasn't what it is today. I mean, if, if, if a t-shirt was, was done then, I don't know, should we use the logo? Maybe not, you know. So yeah, it, now it's established and it has been for a long time. Then it wasn't. I'm not sure when we did the logo, whether it was intended to be used beyond the first album that it was shown on or, or not. I don't think we, we did it to be used album after album. I think it was just done for that particular album. Right. But then the, the logo makes a reappearance on the very next album, which happens to be one of the greatest live albums ever released and probably one of the greatest album cover designs by the band. And it's called If You Want Blood. You've got it. Can you tell us a little bit about that photo shoot? I came up with a concept. I think I spent all of 30 seconds on that one because it was so obvious. <laughs> I said, and I was into the grossness of the band. Not that they are gross, but the image they project is gross. And here is something called If You Want Blood. And I said, well, <clears throat> I'm sorry, Ed. There's got to be blood on the cover someplace. <laughs> I said, well, why don't we do a shoot? And why don't we just have Angus impaled, like he's committed suicide or someone has just driven this guitar neck into his, his, his body. So... Uh, the band's probably like, I love it. Yeah, well, you know, there's blood, why not? Uh, <laughs> I called the band and I went over the concept and they immediately went for it. Said, oh yeah, great. And I said, well, when can we do this? They said, well we're, gonna, well, we're performing in Boston. And I said, okay, why don't we do it after the show? I said, perfect. So, uh, I hired a photographer and uh, I got hold of a guitar that was very similar to what Angus used. And we cut the neck off and we got a gallon or two of uh, stage blood. Nice. Got on a plane, flew up to Boston. Now getting on a plane with a gallon of blood today would be a different story. <laughs> so, uh, so we flew up to Boston, rented a car, went to the gig. And like there were a couple of assistants, myself, and the photographer, and we're obviously not part of the audience. We're like years older than the rest of these kids there, right? They right. could have been our kids. Right. And we're off to the side, right up against a stage, and Angus is doing his thing. And there was one part of the show where I thought he threw up on the audience, but no, he must have spat something that he took into his mouth, like maybe it was phony blood also, and he spat his arc of stuff into the audience. <laughs> they loved it. They loved it, right? It's like he blessed them. And uh, the show went on, and uh, after the show, I went backstage and we you know, got everything together and we went back out on the stage. We set up a shot. And I think we're like one roll of film. That, I mean, he was into it. And, and Bond's expression is perfect, the way he's looking on there, you know. He's, I mean, he just, he was into it. So devilish. And Angus was great, you know. And it was, it was actually an easy shoot, it really was. And that was it. We packed up our bags and uh, back to the hotel. And you only shot one roll of film? Oh, there's more than one roll. I mean, there is a couple of hundred shots there. And of course, the back cover of Angus lying on the floor with a guitar neck sticking out of his body, equally as classic. Your idea as well? Yeah, we just drove it all the way through his body, and uh, <laughs> it, it just came out the back, you know, really. <laughs> well, correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems as though your cover design imagery for ACDC became darker and darker the more you worked with them. Because next up you have the mother of all ACDC album covers, art directed by Bob Deffrin, Highway to Hell. You've got the pentagram necklace worn by Bon. You've got the devil horns, the devil tail, the impish grin on Angus's face. We're getting into it, huh? You know, I, I'm not clear about that one, but I think in, in discussions with the band, that's where the darkness came from. They were getting more serious into what they were doing. 
I mean, uh, if you want blood, if I could say it was fun, yeah, because you know it's a cartoon. You know he's not really, you know, it's not serious. How the hell it was getting a little on the serious side? It really was. Uh, I mean, that look. I mean, I think, yeah, we, we did that shoot. That was, not a, that was not a supplied photograph. We did that shoot wow. and we set it up. And where did you shoot that? Someplace in Manhattan, I forget. I even forget the photographer, but I'm sure it was credited on the album. Yeah, I, I can't remember either. Now, w did you solely come up with the idea for Highway to Hell? Yes. Sorry. You little, you little <laughs> devil, you know, we're going to do this. You don't have to apologize. No, I'm just, I'm really fascinated because this is back in the 70s when all artwork was handcrafted. So did you literally hand draw the devil horns and the tail onto Angus? Well, back then and before the Macintosh era, Right. Uh, you would uh, actually hire a retoucher, get a dye transfer print, and they would render on the color print the tail and the horns. So cool. And what was the band's first reaction when they saw it? They loved it. Well, come on, I, I loved doing ACDC. I mean, I, they were just, it was just an enjoyable situation. I mean, you, would, you would have fun with their covers. And they were so non-political. And there was never any, any, uh, they were just out in the open. They were nice to deal with. They, they, they told you exactly how they felt and there was never any, any animosity. They had nothing to prove. They knew who they were. You know, artists who have something to prove are the ones who give you the worst time because you know, they don't know who they are. ACDC knows who they are. Yeah. And uh, I just loved doing their covers, I really did. And given the nature of that cover back in the day, was there any controversy for you surrounding that artwork from the record company? I don't think so. Atlantic only cared about one thing. What's that? As far as an album cover goes. Well, it was more than one thing, but if you fulfilled this criteria, <clears throat> coming in within budget, yeah. there's a band like it, yeah. is it ready on time? If you fulfill those three requirements, that album is shipping. I mean, the worst thing you could say, we had weekly production meetings and they go through the, the release list month by month. And they say, okay, you know, ACDC, whatever. And they say, and I say, cover is, is ready. If this cover is gonna be late, forget about it. <laughs> you, know, you might as well just go to the unemployment office. But uh, no, as long as you fulfill those requirements, that, that they stayed out of the approval process. Wow. As long as the cover was legal, because they went through with the lawyers, uh, if, it, if it would pass, if it would, would be able to be racked in the distributors, in all the stores, mm -hmm. you know, there wouldn't be a protest. Uh, that was it. They left the approval up to the artist and the art director. What more could you ask for? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's actually unheard of. And I assume you know this, but there's an Australian version of the Highway to Hell cover using the same photo, but there's a guitar neck which becomes an actual highway. It's too obvious. Why would they do that, God? I mean, there's a point where even for ACDC, you can be too obvious, and that's too obvious. And highway to hell, you don't say, well, burning highway, what's wrong with those people? <laughs> well, that was my very first introduction to ACDC, that cover. Really? But as a youngin, that cover scared the living bejesus out of me. Good. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, I'm serious. When I was 10 years old, saw that cover for the first time, it was pretty menacing to me. So it made me want to listen to the music even more so out of curiosity. So was that your intention to create that feeling of fear 
all along? I don't think we really wanted to scare anybody. We were just trying to have a good time. I mean, we were doing a cartoon. You know, it was, it was like, it was a comic strip. I mean, Angus was not really the devil, you know. Uh, it wasn't gonna make anyone do bad things. Like it, we started to discuss before, every time some teenager would, would kill someone or rob a, a liquor store, which people do, you know. And the police would search his room and find an ACDC album and said, aha, right. ACDC made him do it. Right. Well, nonsense. do you think it opened up doors that led to mentally ill people to be influenced for all the wrong reasons, like Richard Ramirez? Yeah, but even the, the, the kids know it's not. They, they, they know it's, it, it's all put on. Come on, give them some credit. You know, no one's taking this thing seriously. Did anyone take the Motley Crue stuff seriously? Ser you know, come on, honestly now. Well, maybe, maybe, yeah, maybe some did, but not ACD. ACDC, come on, is it a short guy in a schoolboy outfit? Please, <laughs> give me a break. I'm just telling you from a 10-year-old's point of view that uh, it, it came across as dangerous and dark for me. Oh, I didn't mean to scare you. I'm sorry. Oh, my God. <laughs> did it make you rob a liquor store or anything? <laughs> no, it probably made me frequent the liquor store. Right. <laughs> So, Bob, you've had this amazing run of ACDC covers. Let There Be Rock, Power Age, If You Want Blood, Highway to Hell, but then comes the biggest selling hard rock album of all time, Back in Black, which is kind of the antithesis of art direction, right? That's a cover that they did. That, that, sorry, but that, that came and done. And uh, I would have done something else, but uh, I mean, I never really cared for it. Wow. I know. Had I done something, it wouldn't have sold as well. What was the creative direction the band gave you? Do you remember? Or did you have any ideas? I, I didn't even spend any time on it. It was like, this is the cover. I want to keep it very simple. Just type. Back in black. Very bold. Black cover. Logo. That's it. And I said, my God, it's not the White Album. Give me a break here, you know. But obviously, you know, there are times when, you know, you don't talk to the art director. You know, this is, do, do album covers sell albums? Obviously not. That proves my point. Oh, Bob. I was hoping you were going to say Back in Black took you six weeks to come up with the concept. But, you know, all black, Spinal Tap fashion. But maybe they were going for the anti-Beatles look. I never thought of that. Yeah. Well, I don't know whether that's the case or not. They just wanted something very simple and very direct. And clearly an homage to singer Bon Scott, who died literally just months before. You don't ask an art director to do something that's just a black cover with, with, with words on it. I mean, forget about it. Like, oh, no, 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 we should, we should do this instead. You know, let's, let's build the set, you know. And, you so know, so no. getting this back in black assignment from ACDC kind of pissed you off. It did piss, well, yeah, a little bit. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, there were stories from the band, particularly Malcolm Young, who said that management did not want to release an all black album cover with an all-black logo. It may have been their management that would not have been Atlantic, as far as I know. I mean, if a major artist wants something, the label is gonna go with it. You know, an artist that, that sold as many albums as ACDC wanted a cover, first of all, would not be expensive to produce, because Atlantic was very dollar conscious. Sure. I don't think they would have proposed it. Well, mm -hmm. as one of the best-selling albums of all time, you were responsible for centering the logo and picking out a typeface for the album title? Yeah, we did that. What do you think? <laughs> you know? That wasn't easy. That took me a couple of months to work in. Really. <laughs> Is that what you wanted me to say? That's the soundbite right there. Well, we try out hundreds of different typefaces, you know, maybe, maybe two. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know? But it was, success it was successful. So why, you know, why look for trouble? 
Let's move on to For Those About to Rock, We Salute You. And I actually do like this album cover, and I'll tell you why. Um, ACDC is all about the double entendre, and this has it. How so? Okay, this is a theory, but the cannon is not just an iconic piece of heavy artillery. It's a phallic symbol. Really? Oh, please. (laughs) No, hear me out. 85% of ACDC songs are about sex, right? Well, yeah, but not not as deep as what you're you're describing. But I also love the simplicity of the all-bronze cover and the black cannon engraving, which would go on to become their most important live prop. I just love it. But you're, you're not buying this, are you? Is it because you didn't have a lot to do with the art directing on this one? That's not true. Really? Of course. There are covers I haven't done that I like. You mean ACDC covers? No. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) No, not really. Uh, As a fellow art director, I disagree with you on For Those About to Rock, but please indulge me. Critique it for us as to what you don't like about it. (sighs) The album sold well. I, I think one thing it's lacking is that it doesn't have any of the fun that we had in our covers, even with the devil. There was, there was a certain degree of fun in that because it was a cartoon, as I said before. With this, it's just a, an old engraving of a cannon. You know, we have a little, not, not a lot, just a little bit of fun with it. A little, you know, oh, look, you know, there's a little danger going on there, but just to have a, this very quiet thing just sitting there, you know, it's not ACDC, at least it isn't to me. Now, the true trilogy of Mutt Lang produced albums would be Highway to Hell, Back in Black, and For Those About to Rock. However, an art director's trilogy is the Black Album, the Bronze Album, and the White Album. Oh, Flick of the Switch? Yes, exactly. I think, again, we didn't do that cover. <laughs> is it the, the, the excuse? When I first got the artwork on that, I couldn't, I was very disappointed. It was just a simple pencil drawing of Angus hanging onto a, a huge switch. Take that concept and expand on it, even a little bit. You know, why the pencil drawing? Why the quietness? Because you do have an interesting concept there and an interesting flick of the switch. I mean, there's so many things you can do with that. And I'm not going to tell you what, because I haven't thought about it recently. But yeah, you know, what is the switch? Does it have to be that switch? It's too, it's just too obvious a solution. You know, it's like, if I was teaching an album cover design class and a student brought this in and I'd say, okay, now explain your thought process to me on this one. And why are you doing this? And I bet there wouldn't be a good answer, especially for a band like ACDC, even if it is a quiet period. Do something, even if you're doing the same basic concept, the fact that it's a simple pencil drawing, and I, you know, there have been times that I would have the same critique of some other cover and the artist would say, and the recording artist, I'm sorry, would say, Yes, we wanted the simplicity of that. And then there is a, there's my argument, you know, down the tubes. And I tend to think, had I said this to Angus or Malcolm, you know, why the simple pencil drawing? They say, well, that's what we really want. And then you can go in and try to change their mind, and you never will. If that's what they really want, it's in the back of their heads. Yeah. Forget it. It's going to be their cover. Yeah, and I, th- I think they were going back to basics on Flick of the Switch. But then you have these series of super serious ACDC album covers. Uh, and then along comes Fly on the Wall, which is kind of a 180 in the more cartoon direction. Uh, back to when the band's earlier album covers were more cartoony. So correct me if I'm wrong, but this was clearly not your work but you did receive an art director's credit. Um, 
Why did you lose your direct contact with the band at that time? Well, you know, I don't know. There, there are times when you lose communication with a band and uh, they had artwork done and it went through the Atlantic Art Department. So I guess they thought they were, but you know, a lot of artists don't understand quite what the process is. Not everyone understands that the best thing you can do is let, let's have a meeting with the art director and let's talk to him, let's tell him what we're trying to do. That doesn't always happen. They say, oh, hey, so-and-so has done this great artwork, let's use it on the cover. We'll give it to Bob and he'll make it work. And yeah, they gave it to Bob and he made it work. You know, and it's an interesting idea. I would have done a different style of illustration and made it a little punchier, but it's okay, you know. So did you come up with the idea for the cover for Fly on the Wall? Oh, the whole concept was, was the band, so it really was. You know, I mean, I don't want to take credit from, from where it, it came from, but it's, that was their cover. And I think there was a lot of promotional material and a lot of stuff done based on that graphic. And uh, it was fine, you know. I mean, you can, if you're, if you're the art director of a major label, you're doing, or your department is doing, what, two, three hundred covers a year, you can just do so much with an artist, and if they don't want to do things your way, fine. I got other things to do. And maybe it's something you shouldn't admit to. Well, I could admit to it at this point, but it's really true. Uh, I can just push so far. And unless the cover is detrimental to sales, I got other stuff I got to do here. I have other people on his label, you know. So you can't fall in love with one artist. You can if, you're, if, if they've hired you. Right. But they didn't. They're, they're signed to the label. Now, the next album cover to discuss was the soundtrack for Stephen King's film, Maximum Overdrive. Now, the band's never done a best of, but for all intents and purposes, this is Stephen King's best of uh, at the time, including a few new tunes. So as you may remember, this solely features Angus between some blue-tinted columns, a a yellow logo, which is different, and Angus sporting a rainbow-colored schoolboy hat. Maybe one of the least favorite covers among fans. Dare I ask, was this your art direction? Because I couldn't find it on the credits. Certainly not. <laughs> no. <laughs> I don't. You know, I don't know where that came from. I really don't. And I, I, rem- I, mean, I, I remember what it looks like, but I have no recollection of that cover other than what we just discussed. And at this point, are you thinking, what are they doing, or did you care? Well, I did care, but, you know, I could, if this is the cover, then that's the cover. i got to move on here. So let's move on. Let's move out of the 80s, shall we? We'll skip uh, over Blow Up Your Video, where Angus is bursting through a TV set, kind of on par with Who Made Who's Cheekiness, um, a cover that also had none of your involvement and kind of shows. But then the next ACDC release was in 1990, The Razor's Edge. We did Razor's Edge. Okay, I thought so. Tell us about that cover design. I don't know why the cover was as simple as it is, but it seemed to be right at the time, and I still like it. It was just a hyper-realistic picture of a razor blade having cut through steel. And the red background is implies blood, but it doesn't have to, you know. And I hired uh, Don Brodigam, who is a wonderful illustrator, lives in New Jersey. I don't know where I found this guy, but he was just a, just a real sweetheart to work with, an, an ACDC fan. He says, oh, ACDC, great. And I said, Don, keep it simple. I want a sheet of steel. They got a double-edged razor blade, yep. single-edged razor blade. Just slice right through it and have the steel peeled back. That's the whole thing. Cool. 
and a watershed moment for the band as their second coming or resurrection, if you will, with the lead single Thunderstruck, which took on a life of its own. Now, here's a question for you. Did ACDC ever send along tracks for your inspiration while creating the artwork? Or would that be out of the question? It wouldn't be out of the question. A lot of times we go to recording sessions for bands. Cool. Uh, ACDC, yeah, sometimes we, we, we'd get music. You know, but basically the inspiration was the title. You know, I mean, it could the album could could be called The Razor's Edge, and it, there doesn't have to be a song on it called The Razor's Edge. But that's you're packaging the album title. You're not packaging all those other eleven cuts on there. Right. So uh, the title would be most important. I think the title, even today, no matter what I'm doing, is still that's what you work off is is the title, if if possible. So keeping that in mind, how did the next ACDC release called Ball Breaker influence your vision for the cover? And FYI for listeners, this is Bob Deffren's final ACDC album cover. And also ACDC and Bob Deffren no longer working for Atlantic Records, correct? Wallbreaker was the first and only ACDC album I did on my own outside of Atlantic. Okay. Uh, and band's management hired me. Interesting. I think the reason they hired me is because they were having major problems with the label and this was one way to, as we say, stick it to them. <laughs> Let's hire someone who, that point in Atlantic's history, and I don't know whether this really should be on this or not, but I'll do it anyway. Good. Atlantic underwent a major management change. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that the new management was doing was sort of getting rid of the old company. And guess who was part of the old company? Uh -huh. And so uh, I and other people were literally, I mean, uh, asked to leave which was bizarre, but then at this point, they realized it's the best thing they could have done. Mm -hmm. But in any case, how could management really stick it to the label? Let's hire Bob Deffern to do the ACDC cover. They yeah. like, hate the idea, and boy, <laughs> did they ever. Yes. Uh, but it was great. We made a lot of money from that project. Good, uh, good. But Ball Breaker was one of these, we met with management, I think I spoke to Angus. Wow. And this whole thing just sort of evolved. I mean, Ball Breaker was not going to be what it could be. It was literally going to be Angus on this sphere mm -hmm. with this fantasy going on behind him with electric going off and all, anything you can possibly do, throw onto this cover. Right. And the center should be Angus. Of course. And uh, as always, I sort of sketched out, you know, as we met what I thought it should be. And I hired this wonderful illustrator, who I'm sorry, God, name escapes me, in LA, someone I wanted to use yeah. for years and years and never could afford to on Atlantic as being you know, the company art director. But now that I'm not the company art director, I suddenly could afford him. And he fleshed this thing out. It was fabulous. And the major problem that we had was that, and I wasn't aware of this, because I, I, I got the illustration, I said, oh, Fabulous, perfect, wonderful. I had a photograph taken of it, sent it to the band, and they said, well, you know, we like it, but this is all wrong. And I'm thinking, oh my oh, no. God, no, no, this is an art director's nightmare. No. And what they meant was the guitar was wrong. You didn't have the SG. And they're talking about, really, you have to have the exact guitar. Even if it's one string wrong, it's wrong. Right. They were, they were that into that instrument. Of course. And Angus really wasn't captured as well as he should have been captured. I mean, either you have Angus or you don't have him. It isn't almost Angus. And uh, this, 
I, I sent the illustration back to LA and it went back and forth a lot. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't working, it really wasn't. And uh, we had a schedule and I was getting really desperate. I mean, we're so, I'm in my own business here and this is not working out. Right, you're just starting out. And I thought, wait a minute. Why don't we get a photograph of Angus? It's gotta be, and it, this is a pose I've seen a thousand times. There's gotta be thousands and thousands of these photographs around. Let's find one of these photographs and strip it into the illustration and change the photograph enough so it looks like it's really part of the illustration as far as the color and texture goes. And this was the beginning of the digital age, not quite Macintosh the way it is today with Photoshop. Yeah. Uh, a friend of mine was working for this digital company and he had this computer that could do this. So we found the photograph, we scanned the illustration and his computer, which is now, could be on, it could be a, 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 an Apple laptop, right. filled a room that was specially <laughs> air conditioned for it. It was unbelievable of how, how primitive in right. retrospect that this thing was. Oh, I know. And his company put this thing together and the end result was an eight by 10 transparency, which the band approved right away. He said, ah, finally, Bob, you've got it. And I said, oh, thank you. And uh, that was the cover. Good for you. And a huge relief probably being the first gig out on your own with uh, such a high profile band as ACDC. Um, now, Angus is a tremendous fan of comic books. And I, I did like how there were about a half dozen illustrations based on the songs like Hail Caesar and Boogeyman were on the inside sleeve. I thought those were pretty cool. They didn't seem to go with the outside though. They, you know, with that whole comic book theme. I mean, the outside was, was a lot of fun, but it was very serious. That was like a scene from the Matrix yeah, out there, you know, <laughs> it was very sophisticated. And the inside wasn't, but they're the client. Well, granted, props to whoever has the challenge of designing an ACDC album cover after the Mighty Bob Deferent. That's a lot of pressure to live up to, for sure. But I will say that your style of art direction is sorely missed, which leads me to something you previously stated that you're not really a fan of any ACDC album covers that you weren't a part of. So let's get your take on some of the newer albums. Let's let's take uh, Black Ice, for instance, which is the band's first and only double studio album. What did you think of that package design? I like it. Um, I think it... <laughs> no, come on, it's Columbia Records, please. They are the most major of the majors and always have been. Uh, I think it could have been a little, using the same graphic almost, the same theme, it could have had a little more of an edge to it, a little more graphic, wow. visual excitement, you know? I think what you're trying to say is it needed a little more blood. Well, maybe not. They may be beyond that, you know. Uh, and I'm, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about just have more... It's like tell the designer to have a... Hey, this looks good. Have a little more fun with it, though. You know, like maybe it should be a little this and a little that, you know, really. But I don't want to criticize other, other designers. Seriously, I wouldn't do that. Well, maybe in the future, you and I can design the next ACDC album cover together. That would kind of be a dream come true for me. That is the ultimate compliment. Now, of all the amazing artists that you've worked with, 
and award-winning album covers that you've designed. Do you have a favorite? I knew you were going to ask that. And you don't have to answer that. You probably have a long list, but just curious. Well, I'll tell you, I decided I will not have a favorite. I mean, there are some which are obvious clunkers for one reason or another, but, you know, I've done a lot of covers I'm proud of. Actually, my, I don't have one favorite, but I think the best work I did and that my department did for a long time were jazz covers because jazz albums also had interesting titles and you would take the title and do something graphically interpretive, if that's English, of that, of that title. There was an Eddie Harris cover. Uh, the name of the album was Is It In? Nice. And it was a real West Coast illustration of an electrical male plug being inserted into a pink female wall outlet, and I have it up, <laughs> I have the original upstairs, and it was done by Peter Palumbi, who then was the hot West Coast airbrush guy, since disappeared, I think. A lot of good covers, a lot of Grammy nominations were for Eddie Harris covers. Eddie Harris hated us, hated the art department. Why? Because he always wanted his girlfriend on the album cover, not his wife, <laughs> but his girlfriend. One of the last covers that we did for him, he called up and started screaming at me on the phone, and I never, I never met him. He says, I hate, and the cover is printed, the album is shipped. Uh-oh. He said, I hate this cover. I told you I wanted whatever her name is. And the woman is a dog. <laughs> uh, on the cover, and it's like, I'm not putting someone, I don't care who it is, I'm not putting someone's girlfriend on an album cover at Atlantic Records. That's stupid, you know? And I didn't tell him that. <laughs> but at Atlantic, we had this wonderful expression, which was actually a lie, but we say, okay, we'll fix it on reruns. There are never reruns on jazz covers. If they are, they're like five years down. You know, these things are not gonna run a million. Right. Knowing full well that the cover that's there is the cover that's going to be. And I forget which album it was, but it was an awfully good cover. It was one of these very clever interpretations of the title. It worked, won a couple of awards, and it was fine. Sorry, Eddie, next time <laughs> I promise we'll use you on the cover. A lie. <laughs> well, I'm glad ACDC never gave you a hard time about your covers, and I'm, I'm glad you were behind them because I think a lot of people connected um, not only to the music, but also the, the image that you portrayed for the band. And hopefully they influenced your art direction, which is what the show's all about. Um, how do you think ACDC influences so many people? I mean, to me, ACDC will come in and hit you over the head, but entertain you at the same time. In other words, you don't feel pain from being, being hit by these guys. They are, they're consummate showmen. I mean, they are really show business. I mean, people make fun of rock and roll and uh, it's show biz, it really is. These guys just do what they do perfectly. Yes, they do. And out of curiosity, prior to getting your first assignment with ACDC, had you ever seen the band's image or performed live? Nope. So you didn't even know what they were all about. I knew what they were all about as far as the music was, but I never saw the stage show, you know, and I saw them and I thought it was great. But it is Angus. It's everyone, but Angus is that front person. Angus is, Angus, Angus can't change his outfit. The rest of the guys can wear whatever they want. Angus can't, you know. He's going to be a very old person wearing short pants, you know? <laughs> I think the older Angus gets, he probably thinks about it. Uh, but, you know, after the first few shows on tour... He's back in business just like Superman. I, I can't picture him without it, quite frankly. 
Beyond the Thunder is about how ACDC's influenced and inspired so many different people around the globe in so many unique ways, which leads to a bigger topic about the power of music. But here's a band that not only gave me great confidence and happiness in my own life, but then on top of that, the artwork that you created for this band actually had an influence on my own career path. So there's this huge domino effect in a sense. What is the secret formula to this thing called ACDC in your mind? ACDC knows exactly who they are. And they have basically invented what they're doing. It may sound like some other, but it doesn't. ACDC, you're not gonna mistake them for anyone else. Maybe a little bit, but not really. If you do, that other band is ripping off ACDC. And if you start out that way, knowing exactly who you are, knowing exactly how to do it, and invent the way that you're doing it, you're gonna be as influential as ACDC is. I mean, hopefully. But that's, that's their, that, that is their secret, whether they know it or not, is that they are masters of what they do. They don't, they're not ripping off anybody else. Uh, and they do what they do perfectly. Uh, maybe a, it may be a lot of work for them to do that, but in, at the same time, it's easy because they know the answer to all their problems and they know how to arrive at that answer. And that's really the key, I think. Very nicely said. Bob, this has been absolutely great. Being a fellow art director, it's an honor to meet you. And being a guy who started out in advertising where art and copy are all powerful, this should be easy for you. We end every show with the following question. If you had to describe ACDC in one word, what would it be? Only one word. Intense. Why is that? Well, then I have to use more than one word. (laughs) ACDC Beyond the Thunder theme song, Trailer Trash, written and performed by Gannon Arnold. VO Talent by Bruce Jacobson. Cinematography and sound recording by Greg Ferguson. Edited and mixed by Eric Keel. Written, directed, and hosted by Kurt Squires. Produced by Greg Ferguson, Eric Keel, and Kurt Squires. ACDC Beyond the Thunder is a Squires LLC current motion production. Copyright Beyond the Thunder podcast. All rights reserved. This has been a Nat Attack presentation. Shazbot. Nanu Nanu. Nanu.